Today we wrap up a sermon series called What We Believe and Why It's Important. I've been talking about some of the deeper truths. There have been a little bit heavier sermons, a little bit longer sermons. I've been giving handouts so that you can look at some of this stuff on your own because it's just a lot to try to cover in a sermon. Today we're going to talk about an interesting topic, the idea of end times. Um, this is not a sermon that I normally give. This is not a topic that I talk about all that much. Um, but uh, we're going to dive into it anyway. Uh, you should have a green sheet in your uh, bulletin. You're going to need that here as we, uh, for the last time in this series, reference the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, one of the things I've been trying to connect us with is a little bit more of our heritage. We are Westminster Church, which means we are named after a group in the 1600s when the Church of England was really in a lot of chaos. They came together to say, what is the faith really about? <coughs> How can we bring unity? What are the things that are most important in our church that we need to agree on? And they wrote a statement of faith. They wrote a couple of uh, catechisms, which are sort of question and answers that people would learn if they were going to join the church. And uh, this becomes still a, a major part of our tradition, kind of one of those memorials that I think we've lost a little bit of sight of. So we've been quoting from this. If everyone would please stand. We're going to do these three questions. If you're able to stand, I'll ask the question and we'll say the answer together and then in the sermon, we're going to look at some text to, to break these down a little bit more. What is the communion and glory with Christ which the members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death? The communion and glory with Christ which the members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death is in that their souls are then made perfect in holiness and received into highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies, which even in death continue united to Christ, and rest in their graves as in their beds, till the last day they be again united to their souls. Whereas the souls of the wicked are in their death cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, and their bodies kept in their graves as in their prisons till the resurrection and judgment of the great day. What are we to believe concerning the resurrection? We are to believe that the last day there shall be a general resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, when they are then found alive shall in a moment be changed. And the selfsame bodies of the dead, which were laid in the grave, being then again united to their souls forever, which shall be raised by the power of Christ. The bodies of the just, by the Spirit of Christ, and by virtue of His resurrection as their head, shall be raised in power, spiritual, incorruptible, and made like His glorious body. And the bodies of the wicked shall be raised up in dishonor by Him as an offended judge. What shall immediately follow after the resurrection? Immediately after the resurrection shall follow the general and final judgment of angels and men, the day and hour whereof no man knoweth, that all may watch and pray 
and be ever ready for the coming of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Sermon text. I'm going to be preaching a number of texts, but we're going to start with this one. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. This is getting to the very end of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven as for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, the water of life without payment. To one who conquers, the one who conquers uh, will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Today we're talking about end times, and people tend to get pretty excited about this topic. Um, about every year, there's another book by someone who has uh, uh, died and seen heaven and come back, and it just gets very popular. Uh, there's movies about the end of the world all the time. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I saw the new Star Trek movie. And probably two or three of the previews before that movie were about sort of the end of the world uh, for various, various ways they come about. Um, it's been popular in Christianity for a long time. There was a book series called Left Behind. How many of you read at least one of the Left Behind books? Okay. Uh, so uh, this idea of really paying attention to how the end of the world is going to happen and the second coming and all of this stuff... Uh, I'll be really honest with you. It's a topic that doesn't excite me all that much. Like a lot of Christians get really pumped about it. and It just has never been that, for me, that interesting. I think part of it is, I, I just, I don't think it's meant to be read to figure out when and where. I mean, isn't that, every year, too, this happens. Somebody gets on the news and says exactly when Jesus is going to come back. These people get all excited. They make a lot of money selling books. Which is always fascinating to me. If you really thought the end of the world was coming, why are you selling your books? Just give your books away, right? If you really think it's over, then what are you saving for? But no, they make a lot of money. And then it doesn't happen that way. And they got a lot of money. And we've got books on our shelves that were wrong. People get very excited about this topic. comes up a lot. And, and what's interesting to me, I, I, I think even though the, the Bible doesn't talk about it all that much, I mean, there's a handful of passages that deal with this. Even the book of Revelation that people say, oh, it's about the end times. If you go read the book of Revelation, a bunch of it is letters to different churches. 
And there's a whole bunch of revelation that isn't even about end times. And a lot of revelation is actually written metaphorically. Uh, a lot of it is really to be read as a commentary on the Roman government of its time. So people get really excited about this. And they want to talk about it. And they, want to, they want to draw big charts to say when this is going to happen and how it's going to kind of lay out. And I don't think the Bible really gives you the opportunity to know it that well. But at the same time, I think the Bible does say some very clear things about what is going to happen in the end that most Christians get wrong. Most Christians have misconceptions about. And so what I want to do today is talk about the things I think in Scripture you really can know and are really important for how we live our daily lives. <coughs> Misconception number one. We can know when and how it will happen. The Bible is very clear in Matthew 24. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And normally some weird guy that gets on the news about once a year, right? If somebody ever tells you they know when Jesus is coming back because they figured it out, you remember this verse, and you can guarantee that's one day he's not coming back. That's what you know. That's one day it's not going to happen. Y2K, it's not going to happen because everybody thinks it's going to happen then. No. No one can know the day or the hour. Uh, I don't think the scripture, because, because a lot of it's, again, so metaphoric, I don't think you can lay out a chart of exactly how it can happen. In fact, people argue all the time about how things go on the charts. No one agrees on how exactly it's going to happen. I don't think it's meant to be read that way. But <clears throat> there is one major underlying principle that whenever we talk about end times, whenever we talk about the end of days, the end of things, the day of the Lord, the Bible talks about it a lot of different ways. There, there, is some, there is one important principle, and I think we can pull it right out of 1 Corinthians 15. Um, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Well, you're, you're entering into a long discussion that Paul has in 1 Corinthians. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So for Paul, Jesus is somehow the first of what is going to happen to many. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then in his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Everybody catch that? Every, every all. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is ex uh, accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. That's, and there's Paul. He writes like... What we would write is six sentences, is one sentence for Paul. Here's the big principle. If something was broken because of sin, Jesus, as the Redeemer, as the Mediator, fixes it. If it's broken for Jesus to be the Mediator, He has to fix it. The challenge comes in the way we talk about, we often talk about this Christian thing. 
the way we talk about Christianity is that we basically live, there's, there's sort of two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. And so the idea is that we live in the kingdom of this world, but Jesus comes and saves us. And so when we come saved, we live our lives sort of like this. One foot in the kingdom of the world and one foot in the kingdom of heaven. And we all understand this tension as a Christian, right? There's stuff I want to do that the world says I can do. But I'm also a citizen of this kingdom over here, which means I can't really do that. So we, we sort of have this dual citizenship. But someday when we die, we get to go to heaven. And guess what we do? Huh? We leave the world behind and we're now with God. Isn't that the way Christianity is often described? I mean, this is a pretty typical description. Okay? There's separation between us and God. Christ comes to save us. We sort of live in these both worlds until we die, which we go to heaven. The problem is that that fails to realize how serious, how deep, how complete the salvation of Jesus Christ is. We don't just leave the world behind because that means the world is not redeemed. Okay, that's misconception number two. The physical world, including our bodies, will be no more. So, so, but, but if, if Christ redeems all, he's got to fix the world too. Okay, if, if my body is also, so I'm a spirit, but I'm also a body, right? And both things are broken because of sin. Some of you, when you got up this morning, you, you can feel sin, right? You're trying to get out of bed. Okay? Our bodies are broken because of sin. We get sick. I get this sinus thing. This is sin. Okay? Our bodies were not meant to break down like this. So what we think is, okay, when we die, we leave our body behind and we get to go to heaven. But that is not the biblical understanding. That's not what Paul thinks. Paul says Jesus is the first fruits. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he had a very different body, right? Jesus can do things that, that uh, he couldn't do before he died, like appear in a room. But Jesus also eats. And they can touch him. And they can recognize him. But not always can they recognize him. See, this, this move, this understanding that we have, that we die, and then we go to heaven, and that's it. That's not the biblical idea. Because it fails to realize how much Jesus does in the world. Here's from 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Okay? In, in the Revelation text, it talks about um, New Jerusalem coming down from heaven. With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will first rise. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Listen to this text from Philippians. But our citizenship is in heaven, right? Citizenship in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is really important in Paul's theology, that your body gets remade. And, and even bodies, we don't understand how this works. And what about people that are cremated? That was a big debate for a long time in Christianity. What about bodies who are long past, where there is no body anymore? It's deteriorated. Um, what about people that are in a fire? 
Somehow the idea is for Jesus' redemption to be complete, your body has to be remade. It's still your body, but somehow it's made new and glorious, better than it had ever been before. For Jesus to undo sin, he's got to do the same thing to the world. Jesus has to come and defeat sin and defeat death. So, so it's not like we're in this world, we step over here, and then we're in heaven. As, as theologian N.T. Wright says, there is life after life after death. Let me say that again. There is life after life after death. So we go to be with, so when we die, we go to be with Jesus in spirit. But there is a day coming, says the Bible, and it's very important that we understand this, where this line goes away. Where heaven reinvades earth and all things are made new. And Jesus doesn't rule from heaven. He rules from earth. And we're giving new bodies, great bodies, are new, hardly recognizable from our old bodies. The, the redemption of Christ has to be so complete. So don't ever tell someone that you're going to be in heaven forever. This is not how it's going to be. That fails to realize the deep work that Jesus did in saving us. So yeah, I love this line, and this is where people get sometimes confused, that we are, we, we are caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That doesn't mean we stay up there, right? We meet Him. He's on His way down here. I don't want to be in heaven if Jesus is coming here. Do you understand how important this is? That means the world is important to Jesus. That means what you do with your body is important to Jesus. In, in the Corinthian, in, in Corinth, they're doing all kinds of weird stuff. Into all kinds of weird sexual stuff. All kinds of weird worship. And uh, Paul uses this argument to say, you know what? Your body isn't yours. Your body is a temple. Your body is going to be changed someday. So what you do in your body is important. If you don't have this theology right... Christianity can quickly become just a ticket that you have and you hold on to until you get to heaven. Till man, I'm going to leave this body, I'm going to leave this world, I'm going to be in heaven. And so it becomes basically, Christianity becomes a waiting game. But when you really understand what the Bible says about end times, what you understand is, man, this world is important. The decisions I make with my body are important. And some of you, I know what you're thinking, you're not listening to me, you're thinking... Man, I hope it's a 20-year-old body that I get, right? We don't know what kind of body it is. The Bible doesn't describe, again, how it exactly is going to happen. The Bible leaves fairly blank. We don't know. I'm not even sure we're meant to really think about it. I think we're just meant to understand, okay, Jesus wins. The world is going to be redeemed. But, but because of that, I don't just punch my ticket and wait for Jesus to come back. Or for me to die, I live my life in such a way that I show that the kingdom is coming. In fact, that even in our midst, thanks to Jesus, thanks to the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of heaven is breaking in right now. Ready to change the world. Misconception number three then. Kingdom of heaven will be a lot like earth. Most of our descriptions of heaven are like this, right? Well, there's streets, it's a city... I got my house, you got your house. You come over for dinner, I get to have dinner with my relatives that have gone on before me. That, that is not how heaven is described. Okay? Uh, heaven is very Jesus-centered. When the 
and the new Jerusalem is very Jesus-centered. What you do is you worship Jesus for the redemption that he has done. The grace that you have received that you didn't deserve to be there and you're there anyway. Not that you're not going to care about your relatives who are there. But I just think when you're in the presence of God Almighty, it's going to be great that you're standing next to those relatives and those friends. But I'm not sure that's going to be your real priority at that point. Furthermore, the idea, the idea that we have mansions comes from a, a bad translation of this text. Um, often, often used at funerals. It's from John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house are many rooms. That's where a lot of times it says mansions. If it were not so, I would have told, would I have told you that I go there to prepare a place for you. I, the real better translation is this idea of rooms. You don't want to go to heaven and live somewhere else. When you go to heaven, and then when heaven comes down to earth, you will live as a family member of God. Adopted, I talked about that last week, adopted as a son and a daughter. You don't want your own mansion. In fact, one of our hymns talks about how we get our crowns but when we go to heaven, we throw them at the feet of Jesus who really deserves the crowns. So, heaven is not like earth. You don't have dinner in heaven because you don't have to eat the same way, right? You don't have to go home and sleep. That's something we do in sinful, hurt bodies. You know what you do? You praise God all the time. And that sounds really boring to us, but uh, that's because we have not fully grasped the greatness and the glory of God in our lives. Misconception number four. When we start talking about judgment, uh, well, judgment is a really bad word in our culture, right? In fact, one of the most quoted scriptures in the whole Bible is judge not lest you be judged from Matthew. And it always has the word lest in it. It's always the King James Version that's translated. Judge not lest ye be judged. As if anyone says less today. Um, the question is who's doing the judging that's what really has the value for judging if we're judging each other well I'm a pretty bad judge okay if God's doing the judging then we've got a pretty good judge a pretty righteous judge and, and we can say we don't like judgment but, but don't we want judgment when we've been wronged don't we want judgment for murderers for terrorists, for pedophiles. We, we can say we don't like to judge, but we do ask for people to be judged, for things to be made right. Deep down, we know that we live in a broken world that needs to be fixed. And someday we long for Jesus to fix it. But here's the good news as a Christian. A lot of Christians talk about how when you die, you're like your whole life flashes before your eyes. I, I have no idea where that comes from. It's not a biblical idea at all. Um, but I will tell you this, I don't think that that's really true for Christians. Because God forgets your past. You know, this, this judgment that's in here, this judgment, the judgment talks about is not for Christians. Because our judge, oh, we've already been judged. And yeah, we were guilty. But Jesus stood up and said, I died for that person, so they're not guilty. I don't think when we get to heaven, I think when we get to heaven as Christians, our judgment is different. I think that we get judged based on our works um, and what we've done for Christ. But it's not a, it's not a pass fail for us. Um, 
So I, we struggle with this idea of judgment, um, but I think it's a lot because we think of God a lot more like us than like he actually is. Now, why is this important? Number one, I think this is a great source of hope for us. That we live in a really broken world, but we believe that somehow it's going to be fixed someday. That we can work for that, even though we know it's probably not going to fix in our lifetime. Um, And I don't mean hope. Where hope gets thrown around. Like, I hope it doesn't rain today. That's a wish. That's not a hope. Hope is clinging to something in the middle of a storm. Hope is living your life differently because of a belief you have, even though maybe it doesn't make sense. That's hope. And and we as Christians and we in this world need this sense of hope to get us through the storms of life. And I think this provides that. This idea that we know, even though we may be wronged in this world, even though this world may not be fair, someday things will be made right. Even though I'm frustrated with with my body and the way I get sick or the way I get injured, someday I'm going to get a new one. There's hope there. There's hope there. And I think we as Christians need to cling to that hope. We need to pronounce that hope to the world. Number two, I think it does say something about what we do with our bodies. Um, If we're just spirits and our bodies are not important, the logic can be, well, why can't I do whatever I want with my body? No, your body is a temple. Your body is important to God. I think the world is is important. You cannot, as a Christian, just sit back with your ticket punched and say, okay, I'm in. When the train comes, I can get on it. No, the message is the world matters to God. I think we need to take seriously our decision that we make with Christ. And I think that we need to live much more like Jesus might come back today. Most of us don't really believe Jesus is coming back today. Um, If we really thought that, then uh, we would not do a lot of the stuff that we do. If Jesus came back and you were on a certain website or you were sitting on the couch eating potato chips, when well, you could be doing something much more valuable. Um, just shows that we, we're not really thinking about Christ coming. In the, in the early church, they thought Christ was coming. They lived like it could be right now. And all of a sudden, everything else in the world didn't matter because I've got I to gotta be working for Christ's purposes because it could be any time. 2,000 late years later, we're like, eh, it'll probably be another thousand years. Or even people who read the signs and say, oh, the world is kind of changing. and um, They still don't live like it's today. <clears throat> what would happen if we all lived like it was today? Um, I think these are words to be challenged by. I would encourage you to look at some of these texts. I gave you some, some of the larger texts there at the end. Um, I hope you consider these things. Uh, I hope you consider the hope that we can have Uh, I hope you would consider how great it is what Christ has done for us. Because just personal salvation that gets your ticket into heaven is really pretty small and pretty lame view of what Christ has done. And the Bible says much more about it. Let me pray for you. King of heaven, we thank you that what's going to happen at the end of the time of the world is so much broader than what we think it's going to be. We long for you to make things right. We have been wronged and we have been hurt and we have been broken. Lord, we cry out to you. Be our hope. Help us to realize your hope now. Pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.